We're inside your walls. America's most rat-like podcast, The Pod People. I'm the man in the dirt. Matisse Van Rossum. I thought you were going to go man in a jar. Um, oh, shit, that would have been better. Fuck! <laughs> uh, I'm I'm a Yeti Coolers number one salesman in the tri-state area, Ben Sheets. And I am one man, and I've got one jar, Cleveland Mosier. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. What? It's just it's a jar. It's harmless. What, what, what's wrong, guys? Uh, well, we're we're winding down the year, and we're doing our our end of the year catch up. I won the predictions yet again. Undefeated champion, twenty twenty three. So I picked the two movies. We're going to be talking about two movies about living inside. <laughs> And yeah, if you, if, if you also live inside, good. I would hope so. That's a normal place for things to live inside. Yeah, but I guess to, com- to complete the trilogy, we'd really need to finish it off with Pixar's Inside, I guess. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, I don't inside know. Inside Out? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Something well, we're not like here that. to talk. We're not here to talk about a baby movie. We're here to yeah. talk about grown up, very big mature, m- mature grown up, yeah, big <laughs> rat boy movies. Um, the, the two movies I picked are It Lives Inside and Cobweb. Um, I think we're going to start with It Lives Inside. It Lives Inside is a uh, neon-produced and distributed film. Uh, written Along with her- uh, QC, Quality Control, which is uh, Migos's company. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, this, so you're saying this is a Migos-produced film? Yes. <laughs> Awesome. Incredible. Incredible. I did not know that. It Lives Inside is written and directed by uh, Bishal Dutta, who uh, is uh, an Indian-American filmmaker. And uh, this is sort of like, uh, I guess, a, a, an, an Indian-American take on your traditional sort of like haunting demonic possession movie, you know, about uh, a teenage girl who uh, accidentally releases a demon that stalks her and her friends and does nasty evil things. Lights turn on, lights turn off. You know how it goes. Some eyes in the dark. Big It Follows vibes. Yeah, I would say overall, I found the film to be pretty jarring. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Um, yeah, it follows is is something that uh, uh, I was thinking about a lot while watching this movie. Aside from just like the similar kind of title, it's a similar sort of premise, um, but also like aesthetically quite similar. Uh, a lot of like similar sort of camera work um, and cinematography. Uh, it looks a lot like it follows up to the point where there's even a sequence where. Like a person's hair gets lifted by an invisible creature. There's a lot yeah, of yeah. there's a lot of that. There's a lot of looking at invisible creatures and doors opening without anyone being there and that sort of thing. Not to get too ahead of ourselves, but I feel like the way this movie handles its monster is really weird. You think so? Like sometimes they they go invisible with it. Sometimes it's bad CG. Sometimes it's like 
uh, practical costume, but out of focus in the background. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we can we can definitely get into that um, t- towards the end. Uh, I, I certainly have some thoughts on uh, on how the monster looks and and how they do that. Um, but I liked this movie. Um, I remember seeing the trailers in theaters and thought it looked pretty cool. And you know, as as sort of like by the numbers as it is in terms of like story beats, like I do think this movie benefits a lot from showing a culture that is like hardly represented in like western film like especially at all but like but especially horror but you know just like very very little um that like i think a-, a lot of the sort of like more cliche structural things didn't bother me as much because at least like the cultural take felt fresh and interesting to me. I don't know how y'all felt about that. Yes and no. Like I I do think that stuff is interesting, but I think at the end of the day like a lot of the narrative structure and tropes kind of just fall into that, which is like tropes rather than like doing something particularly original with like Indian culture cuz I I feel like there's a lot there. And what they do feels like if you stripped the Indian stuff out of there, it would just be any other horror movie. I like, think it didn't feel super integral. I think it's a little underdeveloped. I, I agree with you there in the sense that like what's supposed to sort of be like the the emotional through line of the film is like the protagonist, Sam, you know, as like a first generation you know, Indian American born to parents who immigrated to the United States from India. He feels sort of alienated, you know, as an Indian American living in in America and and othered um, and wants to be accepted to the point that, like, he's sort of going out of her way to, like, distance herself from her her culture and her family. Um, and, you know, the monster sort of takes on the role of, like, the, the physical manifestation of that, like, loneliness and alienation and fear and guilt and all of those, like, negative feelings. And, like, I, I think that, I think a lot of that is, like, really good conceptually. I agree, yeah. though, that it's, like, it's not as developed as it could be i think it's not like i I would almost like to see it brought even more to the forefront because i think that that's like that's like the fresher part of the story right i think the script for this movie is like the script is pretty perfect i really like the story here we haven't really talked about it but like it's not only is it a haunting film um with a like indian american protagonist like the whole theme of the movie is like learning like how to kind of carry your culture with you. And um, I really, really like how that was made both literal and a metaphor with the monster. I thought that was cool. Um, In addition, we're just talking about the plot for a second. Um, Not necessarily the trope beats, but the actual like beats of the story and the character motivations. um, I loved so to get kind of like a sound like a Campbell bro for a second and talk about the mono myth, there's a part like that's very common in 
hero's journeys and also particularly horror movies where the hero is conflicted or confronted by some sort of creature they don't understand and they have to go and consult the oracle right like there's there's that there's always that bit in in you know like your sam raimi movies or whatever horror movies where like that you find like the the gypsy woman in the woods or whatever and she tells you like oh yeah that's the that's the gringy bagul and you have to give it carrots at, at noon or it'll eat your family or whatever and like like there's there's the there's the mystical exposition person in this movie that person also is the protagonist's mother because the, the movie starts with her not really being all that interested in taking on her culture she goes by sam instead of samita so she's not really all that interested um she she even calls her mother like you're just like a desi housewife and and she just wants to distance herself from that and uh she's forced to to come to terms with it because of the creature because the creature is like from her her culture and uh she has to go to her mother who she's largely alienated herself up to that point in the film for help and um i i loved that dynamic and i love how the dad is sort of neutral there like he wants to help but he doesn't know how and he's just supporting her regardless i i really like their whole family dynamic i thought it was it was really good um, yeah, I agree. Well, I think that was the, one of the, the mother isn't the, the only place yeah. where you know a lot of that uh, monster lore is kind of dropped upon us. We also have in both of these movies, actually, we have a very overly involved teacher. Yes, That's who uh, who who Sam yeah. who Sam calls by her first name in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which i thought is a little overly familiar and yes i i think i see where you're going with that and i i think that uh that the the teacher in this movie is played by betty gabriel who you know has been a pretty big horror character actor the last uh you know several years or so um yeah. and, I, and i think she's good in this but like yeah I, I sort of understand why from, like, a narrative perspective, because, like, Cleveland was mentioning, like, one of the major conflicts of the film is, like, the tension between Sam and her mother, you know? Sam, who wants yeah. to distance herself from her from her Indian culture, and the mother who wants her to embrace it, and... So yeah, she goes to she goes initially to the teacher for help when she's trying to like figure out what's happening to her and I think that makes sense m m from a motivation perspective um I kind of think that it's handled a bit m clunkier in like the teacher doing like the research for her into the monster based uh -huh. literally on like uh, a close-up picture of a painting that she found in the attic of somebody else's house, and it's like that's all she sends to the teacher, and the teacher comes and the back painting to her is later. Nondescript horror painting. It's like yeah, a, it's like a myriad like a big... of like ghoul skulls going into somebody's mouth. It's like it's it's neat, but it's right, certainly but it's... not enough to figure out what the fucking demon is. It's yeah, well, I don't know. It's so unspecific about it, right? Me, because like. I feel like if that exposition and lore was dropped by the mother, who is more of an expert on Hindu and Indian culture, it would have made more sense than just the teacher Wikipedia uh, searching based on you know these vague leads. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, the the mother, like the mother need to ham like to to ham, like just to cram in another trope. 
yeah, in this well, movie I mean, that's already largely driven by them. And I mean, the the mother does flesh that stuff out yeah. later. And yeah. so I think that, like, I, I'm, of, I'm of two minds about it, because, like, I don't feel like it's particularly effective in the film, but, like, I do think the the motivation for for that is very strong, with her resisting turning to her mother for help until, like, the very end. Like, trying, like, going to, to anybody before her mother to try to figure out what's happening. It's like, I get that. Um, I don't know sure. a better way. I mean, because I think the the alternative is, is, you know, she does the, we have the generic scene where she goes to the library or something and finds, like, an old book and opens it up and lands immediately on the page of uh the uh, of a picture that looks very similar to the one that she found you know painted in the in the attic like i i feel like that's i i don't know yeah that that's kind of the alternative and that's not like the most satisfying either well the story really gets kicked off she had an old friend who goes to the same school also indian um do you remember her name tamira D-A- tamira uh-huh. okay yeah. She is really off and strange from the get-go. She's carrying around this weird dark jar. And I joked in my name about uh, Yeti salesman, but honestly, if if that demon was held in a Yeti cooler, this movie wouldn't have happened. Yeah, it would have solved so many problems. I, I do I do like the uh the image of like her carrying around the jar because it's just like your average mason jar, but the inside is just like pitch black. Um and, and I think I think like her carrying that around is 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 cool. And you know, early early on they, they sort of have a fight because to Sam, Tamira represents the same thing that her mother does that she's trying to distance herself from you know that that part that part of her her culture that that she's ashamed of so she kind of like pushes Tamira away and they have this sort of like confrontation in the locker room relatively early on where Tamira tries to explain that like something's wrong you know she's like something is living inside of this jar and like I I really need your help and you know Sam sees the other girls watching and she's like oh you're such a fucking just a fucking freak you're a psycho or something like that you also hear what, like, I at first thought was the other girls, like, in the locker room off to the side whispering, like, what a fucking freak, or, like, whatever. But, like, really, it's it's the jar whispering. Mm-hmm. Like, the jar and is sort of, like, it's a, it's, it's a, it's weaving discourse. You mean discord? Back. Yeah. Yeah, not discourse. Discourse is just having a conversation. <laughs> did I say discourse yeah, or not discourse? You did. You said discourse. Oh, yeah, I, I sure <laughs> didn't mean that. I sure meant discourse. Yeah, I mean discord. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, the jar. Oh, uh, uh, also I want to note before that we do see, uh, Tamira, um, feeding the jar a raw hunk of meat. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like that. I think that's fucking weird. Yeah, that was great. In this little, this little confrontation, Sam, like, knocks the jar out of Tamira's hands and it shatters on the floor and, like, you know, a spooky black mist sort of comes out of it 
and you know so she has uh she has released the demon and that's where you know things start to to really get bad like pretty much immediately after that because like Tamira runs off and Sam sort of goes to follow her and apologize and that's when we get the like you said the very it follows shot of like something invisible like lifting up Tamira's hair from behind her and it drags her away into the uh the rain kicking and screaming um which I is something that I I do kind of appreciate uh about the the monster in this movie is that you know like most most of these sort of like ghost demon monster type movies like the monster always attacks when like when nobody's around or like when it's dark or something but like multiple times in this movie the monster just like fucking attack somebody like in broad daylight just like in the middle of so like Tamir's dragged away from fucking school by this thing right yeah it doesn't give a shit it's like sam's the only one who sees it so like everyone's like oh she ran away but yeah i i i like that 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 it just sort of like escalates that quickly because normally you would think like oh she breaks the jar and then ooh things start getting a little spooky you know sort of like slowly but it's like nah that accelerates like very very fast one more sequence i wanted to just touch on uh that is i think probably the tropiest part of the movie it's also the film's i think only kill on screen and that is uh the she has a little moment with this 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 boy crush and then she goes into the house for a moment and they were sitting on swings and so he's left alone sitting on the swings out there and then the creature invisibly uh strangles him on the swings he gets he gets swingled um swangled I don't know. I thought it was kind of fun, like him getting pulled up into the air uh, by an invisible creature. But just once again, like it, it just it felt like it could just it could be in any of these like haunting movies. I, um, I thought that sequence was kind of cool and in how like he was like jerking around. Um... Well, yeah, it was it like it starts by like strangling him with the, the swing chains. But like the way it kills him is, like, you can tell that it's, like, like a dog or, like, a fucking wolf. Like, it puts him in its mouth and shakes him around and, like, breaks yeah. his neck. Like, I, I thought that was... Because, like, you can see, like, the big bite mark, like, on his neck. Because it's invisible this whole time. But he's being, like, shaken around like a fucking dog does with a rat or something, you know? Um, I, I thought that that was actually uh, pretty pretty well done um yeah it, it's like the the most brutal moment of the movie you know i think that's one thing that i wish the movie would have gone a little further with you know this is a pg-13 horror movie i kind of wish it would go a little further mm-hmm. in the the brutality of the monster just to emphasize the threat of it well, ultimately, the monster has, like, a, a low body count, too. Like, Cleveland said, like, that that kid is, like, the one on-screen death in the entire film. Like, you know, we kind of get, like, the cold open where we see, like, some horrible aftermath in this house where, you know, something bad happened, where, you know... We learn later the pe- the family that the monster was haunting before this, but it's like... That, like, we're sort of seeing the aftermath of that, like, Tamira gets taken, but it takes her back to, like, its lair, which I do, I do love when a monster has a lair, um, that's always something I enjoy in horror movies, because, you know, it's, it's, 
it takes her back to like feed on her slowly or whatever. So she's alive the whole movie and she ends up getting saved, spoiler. But like it attacks the teacher in the school later and like really fucks her up, but it doesn't kill her. She's alive. And then like when it attacks Sam and her family in their house, it like fucks up the dad pretty bad, but then he's also still alive. Like he doesn't get killed. Yeah. So it's like the like the one <laughs> the one white boy is like the only one who actually dies in the whole movie. Oh yeah. While there's a lot of fake out kills, there are at least like sequences that feel like kill scenes. There, yes, there are kill there are kill sequences in the movie, even though most of those people don't actually die. I just thought that was like funny. We got to the end of this movie, and I'm like, only one person died. What the fuck is up with that? This monster's not very good at killing people. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yeah, I I honestly wish it was a little more brutal in that respect. Yeah, I think I the body count could have been much higher. Well, let's let's while we're talking about the monster, um, let's let's talk about the monster. Oh, actually, uh, yeah. on the, on the road of the body count, um, like. I, I agree. I, I like a high body count, so I don't. I don't want to sound too much like a devil's advocate, but also like I'm kind of curious. Like, do you think that it should have been new characters? Because I don't. I think killing the dad or the teacher would have been like really. The, well, maybe not the teacher, but like the dad in particular, I think would have been like cynical to kill him. I mean, fuck, man! Better. Like, go the go Horror the cobweb route and just introduce a random group of characters only to be yeah. killed. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, think I don't think do I don't think there's any good reason for the teacher to have survived narratively. Like, I think you very safely could have killed her. I mean, the dad is is like a good character, so like it would have sucked if he'd been killed. But I mean, I don't think it's necessarily cynical. It's a horror movie. There, you know, there is a monster. There's a threat. So I don't know. I I think I think it would have been. I think it would have been fine to kill any of those characters. Um, or even, you know, for Tamira to sacrifice herself at the end or something. Although, we'll get to the end. I do like the end. So, the monster, I really dug in this movie. And I was very pleasantly surprised in, like, the, the big climax at the end, how much of it was practical and, like, very obviously a a guy in a rubber suit. I found that like quite charming. There is some there are a few like instances of like shitty CG, but it's it's mostly a dude in a suit. And for this type of movie that's so rare. Yeah, I will say it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I hinted at this at the beginning, but I almost feel like having the monster appear invisibly was kind of I don't know, a cop-out to not show more cool, you know, practical monster stuff. Um, I feel like way too many movies nowadays opt for the invisible monster uh, just because it's cheap. I mean, not not to negate that criticism from a structural standpoint, but out of curiosity, I did do a little bit of research into, like, this particular demon that is the 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 monster in this in this movie um and like that is like one of its noteworthy powers like in 
the the mythology or whatever yeah. is that it is that sure. it can, is that it can shape it can shape shift and that it can turn invisible so like, i feel too. like i feel like even the invisibility stuff has been done better though like look at smile for example sure where it's I, uh you know very much an invisible monster is it in their head is it not sort of thing and i feel like this movie could have played with that a little bit more I'll be um, real. Yeah, I like. I think I like this movie more than Smile. I think. I think the way that the creature is handled is is while it's beat to beat more generic than Smile. Like I think we get a lot more meat out of it. Um, there's just so much more to to enjoy with this creature. Like the one from Smile is two shots. Um, yeah, I mean, the kind very... I was wanting like the bad. It was the bad kind of wanting more, in my opinion. I uh, think. I think the the like the the payoff and smile at the end with the the creature reveal is probably more satisfying than anything in this movie. But other than that, I would broadly agree with you that I think I I like the handling of this this creature mm-hmm. um, and this movie a little bit better than Smile. Um, and I I will I will say like I think the the invisible monster complaint is is perfectly valid i'll push back a little bit in just like several instances where they play with that that i thought were were quite good i like the one where she's like sitting on the bleachers like in the school and she like picks up her phone and like she can very briefly see like something reflected like looming over her shoulder that's not there when she turns around i liked that a lot um, I like in the scene where she's sort of like confiding in the teacher, like out in the hallway, and the teacher asks her like, "Why is she whisper? Why are you whispering?" And she's like, "Because it's listening." And you know, then she, we don't see it, but Tamira or Sam, sorry, sees it behind the teacher and runs off. And I really love that moment, like after that, where the teacher is just kind of like looking down the hallway not seeing anything but like she still reaches out to feel if there's something there like i thought that that was like a really nice sort of like subtle way to show that like she's not just immediately discounting this this thing that this girl has just told her it's like she's trying to rationalize it but she's weirded out enough by the experience that she still reaches out to assure herself that there's nothing there but you can Mm -hmm. tell that she's like part of her is like expecting to touch something um i liked that and then really liked the, the the closet Sequence. Yeah, that's that's what I was leading up to. That was because that's my favorite instance of that. And it's it's in the trailer. Um, but the trailer dials it back a little bit from like the actual thing in the movie. Cause basically, like, she wakes up from a nightmare, Sam does, and she sees that her closet door is open, and she sees that there are like two like glowing eyes in the closet and she grabs her phone and turns on the flashlight and raises it to the closet and as the light hits it the eyes disappear and there's nothing there but then as soon as she lowers her phone like and it's dark again like the eyes are back i i really liked that but also like it looks in great the tra- in the trailer you can only see the eyes but in the actual movie 
you get a little a little bit of the, uh, an impression of the creature's face too like a really big yeah. nasty toothy mouth yeah and um, i and it, it, i really so like that just like the 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 light balancing is perfect like you it is it is just enough for you to begin to make out and your mind almost starts filling in more details than are there, and it's yeah. it's really, really, really nice. Like I, I got, I got to give this movie credit. Like that, whenever we see, because they do the same thing when it's in the uh, with the teacher when she's doing the the, the timer light in the bathroom there, and oh, both yeah. times, like yeah, you just you just get enough of its mouth to know that whatever the fuck is going on there is like all kinds of wrong and uh way too many and, teeth. and that's that's that, those i'm pretty sure that they're augmenting the practical suit there too um i love that man like y'all know me i i love i, I fucking love a suit i love a rubber yeah. monster suit in a movie and it's well, just it's just refreshing to see that in a film and we get but, tons yeah, of fun. that we get tons of that in tons. the in the climax of this movie because like yeah, she does afraid. She does go to, like, the other family's house where, like, the creature has made its lair in the basement, and it's, like, keeping Tamira. That's where, like, the big final showdown happens. And, like, for most of that, like, the monster's, like, full-on, like, a a person in a suit. And, and, like, pretty good, too. Like, you you can tell that, like, it's a person in a rubber suit, so, like, I feel like that's... Like, I'm so not used to seeing that in a contemporary horror film that, like, there is a part of my brain that tries to be, like, it looks cheap. But, like, it really, like, I think the practical, the suit looks good. Like, if anything, if anything, a little bit of, yeah, like, some subtle digital augmentation, yeah. Like there's yeah. there's there's a couple parts where it's like pouncing down the hallway where it's like very obviously CG and like that does not look very good, but like there's there's surprisingly little of that. I got I got to give this movie literally big props. I love big ghouls and guys in suits, you know, and it's just it's so nice to see some practical monsters um, in a movie where. Frankly, like these films are usually like so by the numbers and plastic that they just wouldn't dare or bother. And Mm -hmm. it was, it's just nice to see that kind of care put into it. I will say, I have this critique for both movies, um, but it's very broad, so it's not giving too much away. But I think uh, the same critique I have for both of these films is that they're both like very perfect and almost plastic. They're just like so perfectly shot and so controlled that it just it gives it almost kind of a, a sort of plastic feel that I, I wish it didn't have or just move, these both of these movies mm-hmm. were just a little bit more grungy a little bit more you know a little, little little more you know hands in the dirt i think it's a problem with a lot of just like modern movies like i don't yeah. think you know I, I i joke and talk about on the show a lot that like movies aren't as wet as they used to be um but like it's it's kind of the same thing you know like there's everything everything is so like so clean and like well produced and it's just like it's so easy to make a movie look good that like yeah you you lose you lose some of some of the grunginess um I don't think both of these movies are devoid of that though I must say um and we'll we'll get in we'll get into cobweb but um you know, I, I think I think it lives inside has has a little bit has a little bit of grunge to it. Like I, I yeah, like, especially I, in the third act, I feel like yeah, it does ape the you know kind of 
elevated horror type yes. of style of the time. And, you know, much and it's like about his, trauma. Think, it's about trauma. Yeah. I mean, Both I kind of these movies are about Cleve. trauma. I agree to an extent, though, with Cleve that, like, it does feel a little too clean just because it's aping that style sure. um, without kind of doing something in its own lane quite enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it does yeah. look really good. The movie looks is really competently shot and lit. So it's hard to complain too much about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, you know, we made the It Follows comparison early on, and I, I think that, like, in the look of this film, like, it is very, very similar. And I think It Follows has a good look. I think there, I don't know, I, I think there's a, It Follows almost feels a little bit more, um, I don't Rainy. know, control. Like... No, no, not grainy. I, I totally disagree. Um, But oh. I, I think, like, it feels a little bit uh, more precise and controlled in its camera um, that I think sort of elevates the the visual style of it um, oh. in in a way that this film doesn't quite achieve. Um, but you know, overall, yeah, I, th- I think it's a good looking film. I like the aesthetic of this. The last thing I really wanted to touch on is the ending. Mm-hmm. The, f- the finale spoilers obviously uh is you know the demon has to be put back into a vessel of some sort originally is in the mason jar um but in the end it's in sam's body essentially yeah. and she becomes the vessel what did y'all think of that um i think like sort of like cleveland brought up earlier in the movie that like as uh as sort of like a metaphor for you know the 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 sort of like combination of of loneliness and guilt and shame that she feels like as an as an american but still as like distinctly an other because of uh you know her her indian heritage that like having to keep all of that kind of shit you know, tucked up and and inside you forever, and, like, you have to fight to keep it from getting out. Like, I I think that all makes sense. It's a very Babadook-ass ending, uh, I think. Yeah. Um, You know, because, like, one thing that they have to do is, you know, she, in order to keep it, like, trapped inside her, they have to keep it, like, fed, right? So she has Uh to eat, like raw meat and stuff basically to to keep it quiet you know, it, it reminded me very much of the the end of the Baba Duke where they're you know feeding it worms in the basement because you can't get rid of it you just have to learn to live with it yeah I, I thought that was that was fine you know I I of course like lack you know the 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 perspective of somebody from this culture who lives in this country and like what that is like you know, to say I, I, I lack that uh, enough that perspective to say whether it like does a good job of speaking to that or not. I really don't know. I liked the ending. No, but... I loved it. I, I really like uh, when she eats the raw meat because like the whole family's gathered around at the table, and um, you know, it's it's right before the credits. The creature's been defeated. And in a film like this, it's anyone's bet. Normally, the frankly, more often than not, the creature is revealed to still be powerful at the end of a movie like this. And I, I really like the moment where she kind of like takes the raw meat, 
carefully kind of starts chewing it and swallows and waits for a second. And there's just a big universal sigh of relief from everyone like, oh, thank God it worked. And then she she talks to her friend about it for a second and the movie ends. And it's like, yeah, like you just have to carry this with you like for your well, life. And it's okay. Like it's it's about learning to accept that. And it's cool. I, I like that. Yeah, yeah well, I, think I mean, ethically it works. I almost feel like it's a little too clean. I I wish there was some more kind of ambiguity, I guess you could say, in terms of being like, oh, it's in her, you know, and she's carrying it with her, but who knows how long that'll be. You know, she the only hint towards that we get is her reassuring her friend that it's never going to get out again. Yes, well, but... I mean, but then, like, if, yeah, if there was, like, a chance of the monster getting out, then the moral doesn't work. But there is the chance of the monster getting out. She promises her friend that it's never going to get out, but then her friend walks away and she's left alone on the street. And you see the last shot is like you see her face change and like a tear rolls down her cheek that like once she is alone, she's alone with this evil that, you know, now lives inside her and she has to keep it inside her forever. You know, like I, I do think there's... It, it it does sort of end on that kind of, you know, like, sour note a little bit. It's like, yeah, when she's with other people, she's strong, but as soon as she's alone, it might come bubbling back up. Because that's part of the whole thing of the finale, right? Is like, one person isn't strong enough to force it into a vessel alone without dying. It takes more than one person. That's why the kid yeah. at the beginning died, is because he did it, he did it by himself. And he sealed it in the jar at the cost of his life. So, you know, he, at the end, Sam and Tamira are able to do the prayer together to, you know, lock it inside of Sam. But it's that, it's the strength of the community that keeps it down, right? But she can't have that always. She's all, there's, you know, going to be times where she's alone. And in those times, like, then it becomes dangerous again. So I don't know. I, I, I think it did a, a, a perfectly fine job of implying that. Anyway, y'all wanna y'all wanna rate this and and move on. Yeah, why don't you um, start? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I again like I I overall really enjoyed this movie. I I do think that like it's kind of generic beat for beat, and uh, I would probably give it a slightly lower score if it didn't have like the the interesting cultural perspective of of a culture that I don't have a great amount of knowledge about. Um, that was, that's enough to, to keep it fresh and interesting for me. I'm going to give it a four out of five. I like this movie. I thought this movie was pretty good. It was competently shot and directed. I thought the acting was pretty decent too. Um, my biggest gripe is it felt like it kind of played it safe and it felt a little boring at times just because it didn't have quite enough teeth to it in terms of its, uh, brutality. But yeah, I think it's perfectly serviceable. I'm going to give it a middle-of-the-road 3 out of 5. I'm going to come in right between you guys uh, with a 3.5. The things I liked about this movie, I liked a lot. It's it's maybe a 4. It's it's really strong um, in, in those aspects. However, the body of this movie, the bulk of it, was generic haunting film. Um, again, I, I, re- I really, really liked her dynamic with her parents a lot. Uh, and her sort of re- reestablishing her connection to her mother felt quite strong in the story. Um, it's just that 
so much of the movie is is fake out jump scares and and the the beats that you would you would come to expect and again with just a veneer that's just a little bit too high fidelity a little bit too perfect um and polished uh well fuck it you know what no i take it back it's got a creature in a suit though it's got a suit ending i i, I gotta i gotta i'm gonna get a four it's it's a yeah it's it's worth a four for sure all right well that will give it lives inside an average of 3.7 out of five um and yeah general soft recommendation check it out so now we're going to move on to uh the second film we're going to be talking about which is cobweb which is directed by uh samuel bowden it doesn't look like he's really done much else other than tv is this his first film i think it might be his first feature um everything else on his imdb is television and uh, shorts and music videos. So, um, yeah, I think this is his first feature. This movie, they kind of, like, snuck out onto Hulu, like, earlier in the year. Very strange timing. Like, this is a very Halloween, uh, you know, vibes kind of movie, and they put it out in, like, fucking well, April or something. Halloween. It's, yeah, it's set during Halloween. Yeah, set during Halloween. Um. I'd heard a lot of good things. Uh, didn't have a chance to check it out until now. Um, and again, was, was, uh, pleasantly surprised. I, I enjoyed a lot of things about this movie. Um, it's, it's also kind of generic in its premise, I suppose. Um, but I think. Yeah. Well, until the third act, which. Yeah. I was going to say sort of the rails sort of unlike uh it lives inside um which is largely quite predictable um this is this movie is full of little twists and turns um it it kept me guessing in a lot of ways um i i really i really enjoyed it um it's about uh, a a little boy who lives with his parents and he's you know sort of an outcast not popular at school blah 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 your sort of typical thing and uh Late at night, he starts hearing noises in the wall in his bedroom um, and starts hearing the voice of what sounds like a little girl talking to him from inside the walls. Uh, meanwhile, the vibe with his parents is uh, absolutely fucked. Atrocious vibes. Um, yeah. yeah, I will and- say, like... On a on a broad stroke, like this movie feels like industrial grade cinema to traumatize a kid with, like show this to a child and fuck them up for life. Fuck them up, <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ, yeah. This movie is um, this movie is pretty mean to to the little boy. I won't say it's like I won't say I don't think the movie is like totally mean spirited, but uh, it is uh. It's not particularly kind to to this kid. The I parents the, are great. The parents are the big highlight. The parents are played by Lizzie Kaplan and Anthony Starr. Um, Both powerhouse and, actors. Yeah, the excellent character actors. I mean, well, this is the first thing I've seen Anthony Starr in outside of the boys. Um, and I've seen a few episodes he, of Banshee. Really good in that too. He's, uh, he is, I will say, uh, I think a bit typecast, um, as handsome yet incredibly sinister man. Um, he's, (laughs) I I mean, yeah, he's, he's one of the best at it. Um, but like, yeah, I I feel like he is putting on 
the same kind of pants that uh, that uh, he does for Homelander in this movie. You know, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, the same star and striped pajamas. Yeah, uh-huh. but um, but men, they're great. I I love both of them in this movie. They're they're both fantastic. Again, just like the vibes are just absolutely fucking atrocious in this house, and I think they they do that in a really nice subtle way to start that like escalates really rapidly because like i feel like at the beginning of the movie like you feel like something's a little off with the parents but it doesn't seem like they're you know as horrible and abusive as they are until things get going in the movie and i appreciate that i feel like usually with these kind of things they start with like right off the bat it's like these parents are fucking evil but so it's like there's very little about the make and aesthetic of the film because it's 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 very it's kind of modern and and perfect but uh that feels lynchian to me however i think that the parents are quite lynchian i was thinking about it and mm. They they take on so many affectations of like Norman Rock, Rockwell Americana, like that perfect picture of little schoolhouses and you know like uh, towns where everyone says hello to their neighbor and like they always they always speak like they're from like the 30s to 50s you know like they have this yeah. small Americana affectation from the past and it's never like fully explained why they feel like they came out of a time machine and i like that it's it's just the right level of unnerving and it's that same idea that you know lynch is always playing with especially in his early career of like of americana where something is just wrong beneath the soil and i i really got that vibe from the parents and i and i think they both they both nailed it and it's it's never like a worse actor would take it like over the top but with them it's it's just right it's just the right level of unnerving it's it pushes camp. It never goes across the line. I I I, lo- I love their performances like so much. It's my favorite thing about the movie for sure. I think that vibe kind of carries through with the costuming as well. Like they they both have a look to them in terms of like how they dress of like an earlier era. Like Lizzie Kaplan's always wearing like dresses that go down to her shins and stuff. Long sleeves high collars, stuff like that. I, I mean, I think Anthony Starr's costume is a little bit more contained. He looks, he looks like he's out of the fucking 90s. He looks like he's like uh, a fucking grunge guy um, from from the early 90s because he's always wearing jeans and flannel. But even so, like, it's it's anachronistic in, like, a different kind of way than, than Lizzie Kaplan's. Like, she's almost like... She's almost like Puritan, kind of uh, in in her presentation. Um, I was I was especially impressed with her in this because I I like Lizzie Kaplan a lot, and I've seen her in a lot of stuff, but I've never seen her in a role quite like this. This felt like her stepping outside of her wheelhouse a little bit, or being cast outside of her wheelhouse. Um, and and I you know I thought she she like did a, a really a excellent job with it. Like Anthony uh, Starr is playing is playing to type, right? Like like I said, like he's he's doing the Homelander shtick, right? So I you know, I, I expect that to be good, but I don't know, you know, like Lizzie Kaplan is is she she tends to play these sort of like 
cool, like disaffected, aloof kind of uh, characters, kind of like, I don't know, Pacific Northwest, uh, like hipster girl kind of thing. Um, And this is, yeah, this just felt like something totally different. I thought she fucking nailed it. Absolutely. Yeah, well, the the other big star we have in this movie oh. is Cleopatra Coleman, who yes. plays the, the teacher. Oh, I, I thought the you way... were making a joke, and you were going to talk about the dad again, because you said the other, like, it's like Anthony Starr, I, I thought. Anyway, the teacher. Uh, the but yeah, Cleopatra Coleman is in this, you know, famous for Westworld, right? She was in that. That, no, no, that was uh, that was uh, Tessa Thompson who's in Westworld. Oh fuck, that was Not Tessa even. Thompson. What what have I seen Cleopatra Coleman in? I feel like um, I've seen her in some stuff recently. Oh, she was she was in Infinity Pool earlier this year. She oh, she's yeah. uh, she's Alexander Skarsgård's wife in that. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's probably the most recent thing that I've seen her in. I don't think that she is bad in this movie. I think her character is a little flat. Yeah, um, kind of uninteresting. Yeah, I, I don't like that character. It's like she's she's like unambiguously like the good guy, you know? Like she's the one who sees like the the strange behavior in in Peter, the little boy, and like assumes that there's something wrong at home, and like you know goes out of her way to like show up at the house, like check on him multiple times, stuff like that. And, you know, she ends up helping to save him at the end, but like, yeah, I, the, the character just felt like kind of nothing, man. I was, I was, I was hoping for a little bit more from that character, especially cause like Cleopatra Coleman's a good actress. I just don't feel like she had much to do. Yeah. She's teacher who cares. She's teacher. She's teacher who cares. Yeah. Um, again, like the, the, the closest thing to like an, unim, uh, other than, you know, the little boy, of course, but like the, the closest thing to like an unambiguous good that we have in the film. So like somebody we should be rooting for. Um, yeah. but I was just kind of like, eh, I don't, eh. Well, like it's, it's funny too, because, um, kids at that age too, like they, they just fall in love with their teachers, you know, they just adore like a good teacher. And I think that was, would have really helped the movie if like peter appreciates her but peter is also just like it's also like part of part of the issue is just like the way that the plot gets us here is that peter's just so fucking traumatized that all he can do is like that thousand yard stare and um yeah uh, which like the, the kid does a fine job of the kid is like um and again i think that that alone in in a in a horror film is is a compliment really that like like peter is he, he he absolutely does his job just fine and he's he's a fine actor in what he does he's just not great I think, um, but it's a, it's a, a, always an, a, a silly critique. The character itself, like I, he he is just scared boy that we worry for. Um, and but with the teacher, I just I, I if if their dynamic had been a little bit stronger, um, and we'd really like felt like that he he just adored his teacher. Like it, I think it would have worked a lot better. I, I think that, um, and it would have made even more sense for her to to like kind of assume that surrogate mother role by the end of the movie. Yeah, but, he doesn't really he doesn't really go to her for like help or comfort or anything. It's like she inserts herself, which like I think is fine. Like he is traumatized, like he doesn't know how to connect with other people. Um, you know, because his parents are are so cold and distant and abusive. So it's like I think all that's fine, but I agree like there 
the the movie does sort of lack like an emotional through line outside of just fear for the well-being of a young child. I'm with you on that to to an extent. While we're talking about the child actors, we got to mention the the other uh noteworthy child actor. Uh, yeah, the bully um, who Busey? is young Busey, yeah, young oh, Luke Busey. Busey. Um, who is He's just got that like jawline? I mean, yeah. like the the Busey the Busey genes are uh, incredibly strong and prominent, <laughs> and it's like you see him, and you're just like, yeah, that that eight year old is for sure a Busey. Um, the surprising thing that you know shocked me a little bit is I assumed, of course, like he must be Jake Busey's kid, right? Is he no. Gary Busey's son? Correct. He's Gary Busey's son that he had at six at seventy years old. <laughs> Jesus <My God>. Christ! <laughs> yeah, he is a he is a he is a Jake Busey's younger brother, much much younger brother, <laughs> like forty years younger brother. I, I feel like you know, much like the Buseys are are good at in film, he's a he's a good little slimy kind of shithead. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. I will say, I don't like the term. I'm not really a huge fan of the term Nepo baby, but he is literally a baby. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. But yeah, no, he he does a great job as being a little shit. He's 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 quite good at it. Yeah, I gotta I gotta say, I And I, then I he like... gets brutally murdered in the third act. Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah, um, they... yeah we should not shy away from we... that. Yeah, we should definitely um sort of uh hit some plot points um on, on the way yeah. to the third act so yeah, like you know as, as we kind of mentioned like things start out sort of innocuous enough like the parents are very overprotective there's this uh you know story they say is like he's not allowed to go trick-or-treating because oh several years ago before he was born a girl down the street went missing and was never recovered and that scared them so bad you know they have to you know protect him and keep him safe um, but, you know, as it is slowly revealed throughout the movie, like, they're, you know, more than just strict and overprotective, uh, you know, he, he gets in a fight at school, he pushes little Busey down the stairs and breaks his leg, um, and so they, uh, they fucking lock him in the basement, they have, like, a hidden, a hidden door to the basement behind the refrigerator, um, and, you know, down in the basement, there's, like, a... They just leave him down there, but while he's down there, there's, like, a pit. Like, way deep down in the basement with, like, chains and everything. It's like, oh, man, that's pretty... That's pretty fucked up. What's that all about? And, you know, so this this whole time, he's talking to this voice from inside his walls. And I, I like at the beginning, you know, there's... There's some ambiguity is, like is this a ghost, you know? Is he maybe being haunted? It's like, no, there's actually somebody living in the walls. Um, somebody who eventually claims to be his sister that he didn't know that he had. She says that, like, she tried to escape when she was little, and the girl from down the street saw her, uh, and so the parents killed her and buried her in the backyard, and they locked the the sister 
uh, inside the walls of this house. So now she's like having to uh, ask Peter. She had to wait until he was big and strong enough to uh, move the the big grandfather clock that hides the the, the door into the into the it's, walls. It's such a classic fairy tale uh, piece of the plot. Is that mm. she waited for him to get big and strong so he could move the clock? I love that. I I, I really I really like that little piece of the story. So um, so much of this so much of this movie is is like a fairy tale. Um, it's it's del toro esque it's like, it's very del toro esque and it's aesthetic yeah. too i think oh absolutely and the color palette and the rest and a little little del toro and a little sam raimi uh tcu and i kind of talked about that while watching the movie there's a well there's yes a particularly of, like, in the third act yeah, yeah there's a number I of say in the of, first like, rolling camera where it's slowly moving towards stuff and the black vomit as well it's all very raimi yeah, yeah that... I, I'd say in the first two acts, it's pretty bog standard. Like, it doesn't feel particularly notably Raimi-esque or anything. I think if there's a criticism to be had about the pacing, it'd be like, in the first two acts, it the, the build-up, it feels a little rote and cliche, um, and definitely slow. But I think it's it's carried by by, again, Lizzie Kaplan and... Anthony Starr's really good performance. I will say yeah. the 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 creature in the wall, um, when it was first introduced, it reminded me a bit of the black phone. Oh, in terms interesting! Of like, you know, a kid talking to an entity they can't quite see. That's trying to I help them how... out of us uh, being trapped in a scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I was I just thinking people it... under the stairs. Yeah, well, it definitely has that in ways as well. I kind of am mixed on how the sister starts off as kind of a a friendly presence and kind of abruptly, I would say, turns into a sinister presence. I like that. It's very I... it's very fairy tale. Yeah, I actually I actually liked that a lot too. Um, I I really appreciated that that sort of twist because like the the parents are you know like unambiguously villainous and and sinister and like I I figured that there was like some kind of twist coming um, but it it didn't it didn't unfold like exactly like I was expecting you know she convinces him to. Uh, well, to kill the parents, to free her, he puts rat poison in the uh, in the soup uh, in just like the the grossest looking soup I think I've ever seen. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> it was so nasty, so gross. Um, but yeah, he puts rat poison in the soup, and you know, Anthony Star throws up um, just like an an immense amount of of like black goo and blood all right. over the place and uh you know Lizzie Kaplan uh tries to to chase uh Peter up the stairs and he like kicks her down the stairs and she falls on a knife that she's carrying um and it stabs her and is like right as she's dying you know she she sort of like frightfully is like don't let her out don't let her out and right at the same time 
uh, Lil Busey and, like, his older brother and his brother's friends show up at the house in, like, Halloween, because it's Halloween. They show up in, like, animal masks with, like, baseball bats and hockey sticks and stuff, I guess, to come kick the ass of this, like, eight-year-old. Um yeah. And for whatever reason, they're just like, knock, knock. Whoa, I guess his parents aren't home. He's all alone. It's like, what what parents leave an eight-year-old alone at the house on Halloween? But that's fine. We, we need some whatever. to get him in there. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... It, it serves as it serves as a, a purpose for uh you know the same kind of thing as like the the scene in Five Nights at Freddy's where like the goons go to Freddy's in the the middle of the day to smash the place up. It's like we got to introduce these characters so we can have bodies for our uh you know spectacular climax because of course as uh as we've hinted at when he releases the sister from uh inside the walls. Uh, it turns out that the little girl voice she was using is fake, and she's not just an innocent little girl, but a uh, a horrible hag creature um, with very, very long hair and who can run around and climb on the walls and the ceiling like a spider. Um, yeah, because while, while he was uh, sleeping in his bed and being loved by his parents, she was... Uh, living with the cobwebs and rats, uh, learning how to climb. I think learning how to climb, learning how to bite, learning how to bite. Uh, so she's become like, like, a, like a like a spider. Yeah, this, I mean, this it's... whole premise is really fun. I like how off the rails it goes. Yes. It's one of those kind of movie premises that you think about it for more than a couple seconds and falls the apart logic of it all yeah. totally falls apart but yeah that's what i like um, about it it's like it has an almost like it almost has like a dream logic to it like it's it is it feels childlike um and and almost like a like a kid trying to remember details wrong well yeah it's 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 fair it's fairy tale asking you know she has exactly. she has the the like extremely long hair that's very evocative of like Rapunzel, you know, like later she throws him deep down into the pit and like when she gets distracted by Cleopatra Coleman, he like grabs her hair and like uses it to, to pull himself out of the pit, you know, like it's all, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all very fairy tale esque, but uh, I, I, I really, man, especially the third act of this movie, I just fucking loved like, it gets so fucking bonkers and gonzo. And this is, like, where the Raimi influences, like, really come out. Just, like, a really kinetic camera and, you know, all kinds of fucking, like, quick Dutch angle tilts and shit like that. And just, like... It gets really fuck. brutal and bloody, yes. too. God, that shot where the the she grabs the dude who's by the piano by his ankles and... We see the shot from above and just pulls him under the piano, and then there's just like a cartoonishly enormous spray of blood and gore. It's so fucking. It's like a small. It's like a little wave of it. Like it's. It's like they had like a full chum bucket, and they just like like it. It spreads beautifully too. It's like a. It's like a fucking. Yeah. It's like they filled a claymore mine with fake blood. It's like it's yeah. that kind of like blood burst. It's fucking it's it's, it's one of the best I've seen and uh I, yeah it's my favorite shot of the movie. I think yeah when that guy gets it, it's it's timing is like musical. He just gets and like he just gets pulled under and then it's just this perfect and it, it's like it's like she she bit him in half. 
or something. Yeah. You well, know, like, she. And, we do see, I, I don't know if it's the exact same dude or one of the other dudes, but like we do see one of the guys like ripped completely in half, like later. I think it might have been the same dude. Um, again, like I, I don't care how many years you spend in a wall learning how to climb and learning how to bite. Like, I don't think you're going to be able to cleanly rip a grown man in half at the waist, but no, again, she's just it's like you start, she, dude, she's she's built fucked up. <laughs> She's which got I, that spider in her. Which yeah. I guess which I guess is the whole point, right? Is that she was born monstrous and so born. her parents like locked her away. Again, very fairy tale esque, you know. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. speaking of monstrous, what did y'all think of her face? Her face reveal. It's cute. It's you know, it's a CG big smile, like yeah, she got a big she got a big mouth and got big eyes. That's kind of that's kind of it. Like I, it's it was fine. Spider face. I'm, I'm arachnophobic, but I'm I'm saying it. I, I think. See uh, the, yeah, I kind of I kind of wish she was like a little bit more fucked up because like yeah, we're supposed to believe we're supposed to believe that like her parents saw her when she you know, she even says like when when I was born they screamed. So it's like I don't know so much too, and the reveal is just dead on. Like she's just in front of the boy and her hair parts, and we see it for the first yeah. time as she comes into the light. I don't understand why they went CG and not practical, other than budget, because uh, harder to harder to articulate, hard to articulate a face uh, in yeah, the way that it needs to, like to to move with the mouth and the eyes. Yeah, but it, it's it, it's there for so such a short span of time. He doesn't need like full articulation. Uh, um, I don't know. You you see you see a good amount of her face uh, in in that last little bit. Um, I I do I do like how it, you know it's again kind of cliche, but like I do like the way her eyes reflect the light like a cat's eyes. So she has kind of like the glowing eyes. Well, I like that. Uh, much I love like it lives inside. We get one of those shots where we see her eyes and her mouth in the darkness. Yeah, when he opens that little door into the wall and he realizes that something is wrong, like something is fucked up. Um yeah, I, I, I liked that quite a bit. Um I love I love the the hair like the the just like ridiculously long hair um mm-hmm. that she there's always she, you know, drags in it too. there's yeah. yeah there's spiders in it and you know she i i like how uh in, in the scene where she's like killing all the bullies and stuff where it's like she's running around on the ceiling and it's like you can't see her but you see her hair hanging down <laughs> use that to like track it yeah i thought i thought that was a a, a fun gag um i i like all of that stuff there's um, one shot in particular that I like. I really love the editing of the movie. Like, we always, uh, before we, we get our face reveal, like, the camera always cuts, like, just down to the frame. I mean, perfectly. Um, to, to hide it in a gratifying way. Like, she's she'll be rounding a corner and her arm will stick out and then the door will slam or something. Um, yeah. There's a great shot, like, for the final bully where uh, our, our protagonist is down at the end of the hall. He's He's in his room on his bed and he's or under his bed and he's looking down the hall and the the bully emerges from around the corner missing his head and he slumps down and then yeah. she comes after him and he closes the door just in time and that it's a really good shot where her arm is extending out just as the door like we because it's so frenetic it's so quickly paced and we almost see her and 
I loved it. I, I, there's a few shots like that. There's one in the kitchen as well earlier. Um, I love the editing of this movie. It's it's really clean. And it looks just it's oh, yeah, it does such a great service to the monster. Yeah, I I really liked all of that stuff. I I agree. Oh, and then she, when she does get into the room, also she she puts a little pumpkin in front of the bed, a little jack o' lantern, and inside oh, the yeah. jack uh, inside the jack o' lantern is the bully's head, and I I like that. Yeah, a little, yeah. little Busey's head. Yeah, I like that a lot too. Was that little um, Busey? Yeah, that was, was a little Busey. He, he was yeah, the, yeah, that was a little Busey's head in the jack o' lantern. I'm pretty sure. I mean, um, it would make sense because Busey, like, one of the things Busey does to bully our kid is the, the kid brings a jack-o'-lantern into school, and he, B, little Busey smashes the jack-o'-lantern. Smashes it, yeah, yeah exactly. So his head getting put in a jack-o'-lantern would be very poetic, and I guess it, yeah, I guess that was his head. Well, Fuck let's... Up, let's an eight-year-old, though, like, that's crazy. <laughs> he was a little shit. Well, let's, let's briefly, let's briefly talk about the ending, um, and then, and then wrap it up, I think... How did you guys feel about the ending? I I think yeah. I like it, but it's it's just like immensely abrupt. Yeah, a little too sudden. I I really liked it. I feel like it's wonderfully mean spirited. And again, like when I mentioned this, felt like industrial grade, um, traumatized kid material. I mostly meant this ending yeah. because if if a I I imagine if I saw this as a kid. I would be horrified, like, every night, you know, in the dark. Yeah, yeah. so basically, to, to to quickly describe the ending, um, the, the little boy and Cleopatra Coleman manage to trap the, the sister in the, the, the pit, um, in the basement with the, the bars over the top. Um, and you know, they're, they're getting ready to just like leave her there. And she has this little closing monologue. It's basically like, it's like, you really think that this is going to hold me forever. Like every night when you're in bed and you hear a sound in the walls or you see a shadow in your closet, you like you're gonna be thinking of me and like as she's describing this like we're seeing these scenarios play out where he'll you know like turn he like turns around and she's there like looming over him and it's just like then the movie just like ends like roll credits and it, yeah. it's kind of you know it is kind of a similar ending to to it lives inside in the sense it's like you know you can you can cage the monster but you can never really get rid of it um except this one yeah i agree feels like way more mean spirit it's like you are never going to you are never going to be able to forget the horrible abuse and trauma that you've suffered. Like it's yeah, going to be, like, with, shit, it's going to be with you forever. Like, that kid's been like, through enough. Let him sleep. Die. You know, out of, out of necessity, like he had to survive. Like he, he, in his mind, like he didn't have a choice. He had to kill his parents and, um, and watch them die horribly in front of him. And he like, that, that's already like, that's payment enough. Like he's paid the toll. I kind of wish that they'd like, I don't know, like collapsed a, a bookcase on her and she just turned into like a bunch of spiders or something, or like they set her they on just fire. Burn, yeah, they just burn the house. They trap her in the the hole in the basement and burn the house down or something. You know, yeah. It's, again, it is spider noise. Yeah, it I, is. It is like it's it is kind of mean and just like this is like yeah. It's like no matter what, like this is always good. Like I'm always gonna be with you. You're never gonna be able to fucking escape. I'm I'm gonna be. You're gonna be seeing me around every fucking corner. You're gonna be fucked up forever. Like, it's so mean. 
Um, yeah, well, he starts the movie abused and traumatized, and in a lot of ways, he ends the movie abused and traumatized. So. Right. Although with at least there's at least there's hope for potentially a better future, you know, because at least now, you know, Cleopatra Coleman's gonna gonna make sure he gets taken care of. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty nihilistic ending, and and again, just like much more much more abrupt than it lives inside. Like it just like it's just like yeah, you're never gonna escape this. Roll credits. <laughs> I will say while I find it to be mean spirited, and I personally don't like it, I will say it is pretty faithful to those brothers grin tales. Like those usually sure. don't end so well. And I'll, I'll give it that. Like, I, I think it is, it is true to what it's influenced by, you know, like it's true to the past and it's true to what came before. Um, and normally that's enough for me, but here it's like, I don't, I don't know, man, even still like it, it's so mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, one last thing I wanted to touch on is i haven't seen this movie since i saw it in theaters uh so long ago but i also got like because of, like the the fucked up weird parents and the the grim elements like Coraline vibes off of this movie as well i, I think i got a lot mm. of kind of like it just reminded me of of like the that idea with like the evil parents and and whatnot like it just uh, kind of reminded me of Coraline a little bit i can see that a little yeah. bit you know mm-hmm. this That's... one's obviously much darker but yeah i'll um... say well, shall we rate? Sure. Uh, I'll start this one again. Um, yeah, you know, I think I think I'm also going to give this one a four. Like, I, I do, I do think marginally, uh, I, I prefer this one over It Lives Inside. Um, but yeah, it does does a lot of uh, things really well. I like we mentioned. I wish there was a little bit more of sort of an emotional through line with, you know, uh, the little boy and Cleopatra Coleman. But like, overall, I I love the style of this movie. I love the fucking bonkers third act. I love Anthony Starr and Lizzie Kaplan. Like, yeah, I, there's, there's a lot to like here. Like, I think this is a, this is a little sleeper hit, um, that I, I, I think with, with the, uh, with the right passage of time, I think this could, this could become a cult classic. It's got, it's got that kind of vibe to me. Yeah, I think the the first 45 minutes of this movie definitely left me wanting a bit more. Um, but, you know, it's carried by a really good performance from Lizzie Kaplan and Anthony Starr um, to the point where that's okay. And the fact that it goes so off the rails in the third act really benefits this movie as a whole. I love a movie that just kind of goes batshit. And this is definitely one of them. I I love how mean-spirited it is a lot of times. It's a good movie. I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with Tease. I, I almost gave It Lives Inside uh, a 3.5, but I raised it to a four. With this movie, I think it's a strong four. For all, for all the reasons we've said, really. I, uh, I, uh, I, like, I like this film. Uh, and I, I definitely... I, I, I That was... This was my second time watching it, so and, I, and I'd probably watch it a third down the road at some point. Like it's it's great, it's a great movie. Well, uh, that will give Cobweb an average of three point eight out of five, and uh, that'll that'll bring us to the end of our twenty twenty three end of the year catch up. I think there's obviously some some other films from this year that we've seen that we didn't cover on the show that, you know, we we may touch on a little bit uh, in in our next episode. 
But speaking of that, our uh, our next episode will be our year in review, our our potty awards, not to be confused with the the duty awards. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll we'll talk about our 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 the best and the worst of the year, and uh, do some other categories that that Ben has cooked up for us, and uh, just just talk about twenty twenty three uh as a as a year in horror in general so um it's gonna be a big potty it's gonna be a big yeah a big potty come on over be be sure to to join us for that next week that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode uh if you like the show don't forget to leave us a, a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening to this um and if you want you can support us on patreon uh, patreon.com slash pod people pod uh, you can become an honorary pod boy and give us uh, uh, movies to to talk about on the show we're gonna shout out our our existing honorary pod boys as always sam zach micah mitchell and yans love and appreciate y'all um and uh yeah if you want to be like them patreon.com slash pod people pod Follow us at letterbox.com slash podpeoplepod where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. Um I don't know, I don't I don't really have a, an extracurricular recommendation this week. I've just been finalizing my album of the year list, but I'll got any good records? Oh man. Uh I mean, yeah, tons. Um but uh I, I'm I might save that to for my recommendation at the end of uh, of next week's. All right. When we do uh, our, our films of the year. Well, I have a wholesome little recommendation this week. Um, I was watching this show the other night with my family called... Uh, it's a Japanese reality show on Netflix called Old Enough. And the whole premise is uh, they send uh, Japanese kids, like, three to six-year-old kids to go run errands for the parents on their own and they they have a a film team that follows them as they uh they go do these errands and uh it's really funny it's really wholesome um the episodes are like 15 minutes each and uh the show's been going on since like the 90s so what they've done for the netflix version is they revisit the kids they used in the early seasons and huh. show them as adults at the end. Um, and it's it's huh. a really cool little premise. I, 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 I really like that idea. I can see like like a little little three year old trying to get like the right ingredients at the grocery store and being like very cute. Like yeah, yeah. That, that sounds that sounds mad wholesome. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It you know Japan is a, a very safe and friendly place in general. Um, so, you know, it really works well in that se- setting. Yeah, I want to see the same premise, but set in America. I want to see a three-year-old trying to cross a four-lane highway in, like, fucking oh Pennsylvania. <laughs> you got anything right. for us, Clave? Yeah, um, a lot of the, the team that worked on the original Creep show went on to do the series. Uh, so we've got, it was pretty, it's executive produced by Romero. Uh, uh, Stephen King wrote several of the episodes and Tom Savini 
um, did a lot of the creature practicals and even directed a few episodes of this show called Tales from the Dark Side. And it's great. There's some wonderful, practical, slimy ghouls and creatures, and they're all morality tales. And something I love about it is the episodes are like 30 minutes, so 25 minutes, like super short, quick little one-off so, uh, um so average television length is what you're saying the team the episodes of the tv show are an average television show length yeah but like for like the creep show format or like the tales from the crypt format like normally they go for like a little bit longer you know like there's a little bit more meat on the bones of those stories and and these are like real quick and i i, I like that i like that about it i'd highly recommend it yeah tales from the dark side is fucking awesome all right well Thank you, dear listener, for listening as always. Join us next week as we uh, discuss 2023 in review uh, and put this godforsaken year into the dark. Good night.